How you doing this morning? Good. I have a sticky note to finish at 12.10, so don't worry. I most likely will. I think last service I actually finished early. That was wild. Preachers don't do that. Um, how'd you guys like that last worship song? Yeah? It's good? The one right before that um, that the worship team did, um, they're like, come on, guys, let's get a little funky. And everyone like, kind of looked around at each other, like, what's about to happen to us? I was like, you know what that song needed? Kanye. <laughs> needed Kanye. <laughs> I went to a Sunday church, actually, in L.A. It was fun, man. It was wild. I like it when Jesus saves sinners. Don't you? It's fun. There's a lot of judgment floating around about that, and I think it's so funny because I know what I was like before Jesus saved me. And like listening to that song, um, the last one Rodrigo played, um, my mom actually used to sing that to me as like a, as a lullaby. So I was like holding back tears sitting over there. I'm like, I remember my mom singing that song to me. And what a... Um, wonderful heritage um, that I have, no matter how um, broken sometimes things are in our lives, and parents, I'm so sorry, like, I know what I did in my 20s, like, what you end up doing is, like, turning around on your parents and telling them all the stuff that they did wrong, (laughs) raising you, and I'm like, you have no idea how hard it was, and now that I have kids, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, now that, now I know, I told some guys at a breakout on spiritual disciplines at the men's conference, um, We were doing, uh, just walking them through some spiritual disciplines, how to live the new life in Jesus. And I said, who in here has had, like, anger problems before? And, you know, thank you for that. Um, uh, (laughs) About 80% of the guys in the room, like, raised their hands. And I said, who in here didn't raise their hands that hasn't had children yet? (laughs) I said, if you don't have an anger problem yet, you're about to find one. The things that go through your mind at 2 in the morning when a baby is screaming in your face, like, to me, it was like a challenge, right? Like, why are you screaming at me? Why do you want to fight me so bad? (laughs) But we got past it. We had one child um, with uh, an angry cry. We had one child with, like, a desperate, I'll definitely die if you don't come in here cry. And uh, the angry one you don't feel bad about. Like, sleep training was easy. It was like, oh, just let him cry it out. The second one, I was like, oh, we've got to save him from his crib. And it's funny, too, because he's like, he was the fat one. Like, he ate so much food. Like, he was fine. (laughs) Um, But we have a third on the way now, uh, Summer Kingsley Green. Um, Means King's Field. She's going to be beautiful. I'm really looking forward to um, having a little girl to hopefully balance out these little cavemen. But if you've met my wife at any point, or if you were at a women's conference a couple years ago when she preached, um, we definitely go toe-to-toe um, pretty often. Um, she's, she's a fiery, fiery lady. Um, but today, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this message because um, Bob actually asked me to come and essentially preach a similar message to what he preached last week. Um, I didn't listen to it because otherwise I'd start comparing and like pull stuff from his notes. And it's like getting 20-20 vision about your life um, when you're 33 as opposed to, you know, having a few more miles on the odometer is going to be a completely different message. Um, And he asked me specifically to speak um, to everyone in the room about 
this up-and-coming generation, and I don't want to see, say up-and-coming even more anymore. Um, millennials are working. Millennials are having families. We're um, <laughs> voting, <laughs> unfortunately, sometimes. But we're out there. We're a part of the world, and we're, we're, we're doing the thing now. And I've never seen, um, if you look at all of biblical history, I haven't seen a generation that is so bereft of purpose and so bereft of focus and so without a moral compass whatsoever. And I'm a part of that generation, and I know, so you can't get mad at me for saying this, we have elevated victimhood above almost anything else, almost to the point of virtue, and we have no idea what it means to treat the opposite sex well. We have no idea what it means to stick somewhere, have a job, and have a family for the most part. It's, thank you, got one, one clap. Thank you. I know it's a little harsh. I like let you have it right at the beginning. You're like, oh, we're laughing. <laughs> he hates his own generation. But this started with the boomers, <laughs> right? And you know it started with you. You were there. Free love means disease and all kinds of other fun stuff. It means broken homes. The hippie generation, um, those that didn't end up getting saved through the Calvary movement, which is unbelievable in and of itself. I'm from Southern California, so we're living um, in a world built by the Jesus people movement, honestly. Um, and any salt or any preservation that there is in the mess that is California right now, the post-Christian California, which it is right now, it's fine. Christianity always thrives in a post-Christian environment. Um, the remnant of what we have of the good comes from the salt from that movement. Um, but it started in the 60s with a lack of restraint and running away from authority. And essentially, success became how far removed you can be from your family of origin. And we've become even more separated as millennials through technology. I was talking to someone the other day, um, an older couple that was leaving the service before, and they said, it's so funny how many ways my kids have to reach out to me and they don't? And it, like, it broke me for a second because I'm the youngest of four and I knew my you know, three grandparents, but they've all since passed. Man, if I could have them around and ask the stories and the questions that I have now that I'm in my 20s and 30s. Because when you're a kid, you're not really paying attention. When you're 20, in your early 20s, you're like, absolutely know everything that is happening in the world and you're perfect and everything is going well you know better than everybody in your late 20s you start to have a suspicion that you've been doing some things wrong <laughs> and then you get married and you're 100% sure you've been doing some things wrong I was listening to um a Jewish commentator the other day and he said one of his friends said to him in the beginning God created man and critic. <laughs> but it's true that women call us out and tell us to grow up as men. That's true. But I want to start actually in the beginning, funnily enough. I'm going to completely change the passages of scripture I'm going to use in this service, so don't even bother with the slides. It will drive you crazy. At the beginning of God's creating the heaven and the earth, when the earth was empty and void, with darkness over the face of the deep and God's breath sweeping over the face of the water. God said, light, 
and light came into being. Just think about that for a second. He had his idea was light. <laughs> okay. Just live with that. God saw that light was good, and God made a distinction between light and darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning day one. God said, a dome in the middle of the water to make water distinct from water. I know that's a little confusing. He's separating waters. And God made the dome and made the distinction between the water that was under the dome and the water that was above the dome. So it came to be. God called the dome heavens. And there was an evening and there was morning, second day. God said the water under the heavens is to come together into one place so the dry land may appear. So it came to be. God called the dry land earth. The coming together, together of water he called seas. God saw that it was good. God said the earth is to put forth vegetation, plants generating seed, fruit trees producing fruit by its species with its seed in it on the earth. So it came to be. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants generating seed by species, and trees producing fruit with its seed in it by its species. God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, third day. Now let's go straight down. I've made my point there. Verse 26. God said, Let, let's make human beings in our image, as our likeness so that they can hold sway over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the heavens, over the animals, over all the earth and all the things that move in the earth. So God created human beings in his image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and numerous. Fill the earth and subjugate it. Hold sway over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the heavens, and over every creature that moves in the earth. And then God gives everything on the earth to them, and tells them about the, the trees, knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge, or knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. What is God doing in creation? If we really take a close look, what is God actually doing? Did you know God creates twice in all of creation? The rest of the time, he's making distinctions. Light and dark, water, dry land, male and female. When the Spirit of God is hovering over the, uh, the water, the Ruach, the breath of God, His Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is hovering over the water, over chaos. And God speaks and makes order. Look around you today. We're richer, we're more connected, we have more power in our hands, in our devices than we've ever had before to connect. And at the same time, it's given us an opportunity, <laughs> I hate to say opportunity, to compare ourselves to one another constantly. There's a new American dream called influencing. There's a new American dream called getting what that other person has. The normal thing on Instagram, on Facebook, whether it's politically or however you look at it, when people are scrolling through, it's impossible for the human being not to compare yourself to other people your age or beyond your age and think, that's normal. I heard someone talking about this before, like before technology, right? Let's say you grew up in a town of like 10,000 people. Good-sized town in, in an agricultural U.S. about, you know, 100 years ago. And let's say you're a pretty good-looking guy in that town, right? 
You know what you think about yourself when you're a pretty good-looking guy in a town of 10,000 people? I'm a pretty good-looking guy. You know what you think when you're in a town of 10,000 people and you're a pretty good-looking guy and you have Instagram? You think you're broke. <laughs> and not so good-looking. Maybe a 5 out of 10. Maybe you need to do a little bit more. Maybe you need to be a little bit better. Maybe you need to obsess over achieving just a little bit more. And same for the ladies. The comparison scale is exactly the same. Touched up pictures all over the place, Photoshop, you name it, creates an unbelievable, terrible vertical comparison scale that is unreachable for normal human beings. And we're comparing ourselves to this constantly and taking in this flood of information. And at the same time, an algorithm in the background is feeding us more and more and more and more of what keeps us comparing and keeps us comparing. And the new commandment is thou shalt envy and thou shalt covet. And it creates absolute chaos because we're teaching our kids through what we do and what we purchase and how we live that what matters is this world. What matters is what's here and right now. Now the world matters and God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, completely restore all of it. But what we have now, the clothes that we wear, the things that we purchase, real materialism, materialism in the sense of what we see and what we experience with our five senses is the only thing that exists. And this root idea creates chaos and vanity. Chaos in the sense of nothing really matters, so what difference does it make? Vanity in the same sense. What difference does it make if I put this substance in my body to make myself happy? What does, difference does it make who I actually sleep with? What difference does it make if I have a family? What difference does it make if I'm a good employee or keep this job or put money away or don't rack up debt on my credit cards? What difference does it make? I want to travel. I've seen it on Instagrams. Right? I want to live my life and my thing and do my independent thing. But what it's done is it disconnected us from family, disconnected us from real life. You know what people used to do 150 years ago for fun? Sit at the table and talk to each other. Can you imagine a world where you're not sitting down and watching The Bachelor? as my wife sometimes forces me to do. But then I get a weird secret enjoyment out of it. <laughs> Imagine a world where you sat down and had two, three, four hour conversations with people about life, about ideas, about God. Doesn't that sound kind of refreshing, actually, because it's so rare? I, I, I urge you to try it. You're going to fail for a while because we're terrible at conversation now. Um, but what we're looking at is a world in absolute chaos. And you see that in the Genesis account at first, right? And what we see is an America in chaos. An America that believes <laughs> in so many senses that government has become God and that we, as people, are here to consume and then pass away. Even to the point where people have become possessions. The most brutal statistic coming from my home state that made me realize that we think people belong to us is that California has aborted more babies in the womb than the entire population of Canada. 
That's just California. Just in my home state where I live. That's people treating the world like it's just material and that human beings are just material to accumulate. It comes from a root knowledge. It's not about the right to a body. It's not about that specific thing. That is the root of the problems we're seeing across the board. It's not just about a right to life. It's a right to personhood. And what's what's aggravating the problem is that we don't actually interact with one another on a personal level on a normal day. We exchange money. We exchange likes. We exchange angry political comments. (laughs) But we don't exchange personhood. We don't eat together. We don't have communion together anymore. Can I encourage every single person in this room that's a believer to find a table to sit around and sit down, break bread, and remember what Jesus has done for you? And start the conversation there. Because so much of our lives is numbing us, and all these kids, I mean, kids, are so depressed and killing themselves in my generation because they don't have any real human interaction. They don't have any friends, especially men. We're having a hard time. Men are being told they're of no consequence whatsoever. And let me tell you what the consequence of that actually is. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 43% of U.S. children live without their father. And it's worse in impoverished communities. The reality is we've said, hey, men, you don't need to play a role in this. Got it all sorted. Society tells you that. What the reality is, is we need men to lead, and we need men to give this world a good shot of wake-up whiskey when it's asking for sweet cream. Hey, I'm your dad now. Let's put some order in place. Even a mildly absent father is better than most of these situations. And that's thrown us into chaos because the whole family unit, the cellular family unit, has started to fall apart at the seams. And I know everyone has a past. Everyone has issues. People in this room definitely have estranged children. (laughs) We all make mistakes. But the reality is, wherever you are in life, if you're a believer, you're part of a new family. And that's why we talk about John 1. John 1, in John 1... He's talking about the word being with God from the beginning. What do we see at the beginning of Genesis? God spoke and there was. Jesus is sent to earth and there's a brand new creation. And that's you, 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 and that's you. You're a brand new creation spoken out by the word of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You were saved while you were still a sinner. Jesus died on the cross before the foundation of the world. And we're looking at our world around us that is in complete chaos, and we have the way. You know what early Christians were called? Not Christians. It's a word that drives me nuts because so many people are saying, I'm a Christian. I'm like, you don't believe the Bible. How is that even possible? They used to call themselves the way. 
Simply put, the way. To give you a picture of the millennial generation, picture a group of 20-somethings dropped off in the Alaskan wilderness, and there's an older guy there with them who's a professor who takes away all their compasses and says, have a nice time, I'm going to go read some books. You can go any direction you want. Everything is beautiful. What he didn't tell them was that they will be eaten. And that the wilderness is a dangerous place. And everyone that says, oh, I don't believe in hunting. It's so scary. Uh, It's so mean to the animal. I'm like, you should see what the other predators do to the animals. Like, we came out of that. Like, our life is pretty squishy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I know when I watch uh, documentaries from places all over the world, and (laughs) it's just, it's funny to me the difference in mentality. It's like, I have a farm here, and there is a violent animal. I'm going to get rid of that animal. Over here, it's like, don't hurt the grizzly bear. I'm like, it it wants to eat you. (laughs) Like, there's no, like... Like, it's not a stuffed animal unless you make it one, which is, means you didn't get eaten. <laughs> so we're given no compass whatsoever. We're given a few empty truths that don't give us any fulfillment. And we're sent off into the world to say, go and do it. You're the new generation. And all that works in an empty mind and an empty especially heart like that is ideology. All that works is somebody gets taken a hold of one single idea, even if it's not deeply thought through, and there's no father to bring order to the chaos. So what does Jesus do through what he does on the earth? He's the light of the world, right? What does light do? It helps you see, right? You don't see the light to look at the light, right? Jesus says, we're the light of the world. When we're the light of the world, it's so people can see, whether they like it or not sometimes. The problem is when you're living like Jesus, you're going to be going the exact opposite direction that the world is going. That's really normal. That's why Paul talks about suffering a lot in his books. You're going the exact opposite direction because you know what's happening right now? Jesus is giving birth to a new creation through his people. And if you've been a part of a birthing process at all, the transition is the hardest part. The part where Jesus has resurrected and he hasn't come back yet and finished the job in between is transition. And suffering. Transition is the hardest part of a labor, my wife tells me. I just watched, mostly, and held hands. But that's what we're in right now. We're in a world where it's now and not quite yet. But Jesus gives us a solution to this whole problem. Because you know what the initial problem was? The family broke. The family broke. Because Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit. Now let me read you another story. Dawn was breaking on the first day of the week. That's today. Sunday is the first day of the week, by the way. It's not Monday. Only in a work-driven society is Monday the first day of the week. The Sabbath was over. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had come to look at the tomb. When suddenly there was an earth, a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. He came to the stone, rolled it away, and sat down on top of it. Looking at him, it was like looking at lightning, and his clothes were white like snow. The guards trembled with terror at him, and, because, like corpse, and became like corpses themselves. 
Don't be afraid, said the angel to the woman. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's been raised as he said he would be. Come and see the place where he was lying, and then go at once and tell his disciples that he's been raised from the dead, and that he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. That's where you'll see him. There, I've told you. The women scurried off quickly away from the tomb in a mixture of terror and great delight and went to tell the disciples. Suddenly, there was Jesus himself. He met them and said, greetings. <laughs> That's so funny to me. There came, they came up to him and took hold of his feet, prostrating themselves in front of him. Don't be afraid, said Jesus to them. Go and tell my brothers that they, sh that they should go to Galilee. Tell them they'll see me there. So what happens in the initial story of creation? God creates a perfect family. He says, go, therefore, multiply, subdue the earth, right? So he's telling man and woman to make babies, multiply in the earth, subdue it, right? We screw all that up. We eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. What are we eating from right now as a society? The knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The knowledge of I know better, God doesn't know. We can do this just fine, thanks, Leave us alone. But what we see in Jesus is that he's intricately involved in our daily lives. When I think of miracles, I don't think of something that is odd. I think of God acting in his world as he sees fit. So when we look at this new story, this resurrected Jesus, this second Adam, as he's called, what do we see? Well, first... He defeats death, which was the initial punishment of eating from the knowledge of tree and good and evil, right? So he's resurrected from the dead. Who's the first person to find out that Jesus raised from the dead? Mary, right? A woman. Someone that couldn't even testify in court 2,000 years ago as a reliable witness. If you're trying to prove a point in the Roman world, you don't write that they're the first ones to see it and go tell everybody. But what's written here is amazing, because who is the first person to eat the fruit? Eve, right? Who's the first person to see the second Adam in the new creation? Eve, <laughs> right? Or her representative in this situation? And then what happens? She takes the knowledge of the tree of life, the story of the tree of life, who is Jesus, to who? Jesus says, my brothers. He's never called them that before. Jesus has just set in motion a brand new family. He's reordering creation around himself. He's saying, I know it got screwed up, Along the way, we've been telling this story. We've been making promises. I am the fulfillment of that promise, and now I'm making a brand new family. So no, no matter where you're from, or no matter what brokenness you have in your past, no matter if you are a good father or a terrible father, or a good mother or a terrible father to your biological children, or anything in between, if you're a millennial right now trying to figure out what your compass is in life, let me tell you, the initial grounding that God had in place to give us direction and meaning and purpose was family. And then Jesus calls his disciples, my brothers, the God of heaven and earth. The God of heaven and earth says, my brother. And that's why we can say, and we have to say it, without pulling back whatsoever, no matter what somebody came from or what they look like, my brother and my sister. 
It's like, well, they believe this and they believe that. I'm like, well, everyone has a messed up uncle. Right? Everyone has that sibling that bothers you. But what we're called to do is love one another in this brand new creation. The gospel is so much more than dying and going to heaven. The gospel is Jesus' initial prayer that he gives us. My father who's in heaven, our father who's in heaven, our father now because we're his brothers and sisters, right? That's an insane prayer. Just that first part. Me, part of the family of God who takes on the name of God. When I married my wife, she took on my name, Green. She liked her last name better, Marquez. She's like, it sounds way cooler than green. I'm like, well, it's the way it's going to be. And I was more like, please marry me still. <laughs> but in this same covenant, this blood covenant that Jesus makes on the cross, we take on his name as his sons and daughters and as Jesus' brothers and sisters. Is that crazy to you or what? Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your name is above every other name on earth. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does God's kingdom look like? It looks like a loving family. Is there any other thing or any other place where more issues and more brokenness come from in this world? Is there any other place where it can be healed more readily than in the family of God? Loving one another. Caring for one another. Sharing each other's needs. I remember in Salt Churches, like, when we started, I hated it. I hated my church. I really did. <laughs> I came from studying at Hillsong, like, the mega of megas. Like, every service was a throwdown party, right? And then I go to running churches and homes. And the first bar interest barbecue we have, we have 50 or 60 people there. I tell everybody there, you're going to be expected to make disciples if you're going to be a part of this church. The next week, we have seven or eight people. So following the commands of Jesus isn't really a priority for most Christians. But the reality for me was, oh, man, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And then something weird happened around eight months. People's rent started getting paid. Car payments started getting taken care of. Grocery bills started getting taken care of. People were pouring out their hearts in front of each other. Discipleship was starting to work. We were seeing transformation in people's lives. We were seeing people give up terrible habits. We were seeing people honestly stop doing things that the world told them were normal. And I was like, oh, it's family. The whole idea from the very beginning was Dad, our Father in heaven. Now, what does Jesus say? When he says, I'm the way. And remember the early Christians called themselves the way, right? The way to what? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Interesting, isn't it? Heavy burden to bear as a father on earth. But it shows you how important that actually is. The way to order out of the chaos is Jesus. The way to life out of death is Jesus. I know that my generation is sinning like they're sinning, and it is sin, and it's blatant now, and people are encouraged to do it, and Paul the Apostle talks about it, Revelation talks about it, but the what, what they're really looking for, and what we're really looking for, is to feel alive. 
They're the walking dead. We're the walking dead. And it's funny to me that we don't hear that proclaimed more boldly and more often. It was funny, I was watching, speaking of Kanye, um, just reeling that right in. Um, I saw his, um, it was like, he was in an airplane. It wasn't carpool karaoke. It's the other one. But he's going with his whole crew, like flying his whole crew to a new city. And who's the guy that does carpool karaoke? Someone shout it. James Gordon, thank you. I was blanking on it. I'm definitely a dad now. It's like, who's that famous person? <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> I know that Kanye. <laughs> He's singing. <laughs> but James Gordon, who's not a believer, is sitting next to Kanye on his plane, which is just all of it is so wild. So like, just I'm like watching this like on his, his plane. And he's telling him, so what do you think about people that actually don't believe in Jesus and follow Jesus? He's like, do you, do you um, James Gordon essentially says, do you think you, it's genuine? Like, do you think you really got saved? And James Gordon doesn't really know what that means, but Kanye essentially responds, well, do you believe when you're awake that you're awake? He says, and he looks at James Gordon, he goes, anybody that doesn't believe in Jesus is the walking dead. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Boldly declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unbeliever and telling him essentially, he's saying in reference to the person sitting next to him, you're the walking dead. And it's always been good that Kanye hasn't cared what anyone thought of him from the very beginning. And he's just saved and now he still doesn't care what anyone thinks of him even more because he's going to be resurrected in the end. So what does he care? I think the reality is that so many of us in our daily lives, in our workplaces, in what we're doing and how we're living can still pursue the things that the, the, the living dead or the walking dead are pursuing because they're trying to feel alive. But the difference is you have a resurrected Christ living in you. You're alive already. The problem is we're not going to the source because we believe the lie. Or we believe... The lie. And if we're smart enough on Facebook, we'll win some political ally over, which is just so ridiculous. Nobody cares what you think. Most of us are just not important enough, right, to have that argument. But the reality is we live in a world where we can actually be alive and we can actually share Jesus with people in a way that lets them see the light and helps them see the mess around them. If you're living in a dark room, let's say, surrounded by boxes and surrounded by clutter, it's like the show Hoarders, and the, the light is off, and someone comes in and flips the light on, repentance looks like cleaning up the room. There's a world around us in utter chaos, and what does God ask us to do? Speak the word. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke is really, really clear on this, the writer of the Acts of the Apostles. He's really clear on this. He says the word went forth. The word went forth. The word went forth. The word of what? This brand new creation in Christ Jesus. The people that were being remade in him. The gospel is not a gospel of death and going to heaven. It's a gospel of heaven right now. Yes, you will be safe in your Savior's arms, but you are an emissary of heaven right here and right now. And if we're doing the same things the world is doing, we are not a city set on a hill any longer. 
And I could run off a list of things that we're doing that are just ridiculous in calling ourselves Christians. But I don't have to do that. You know what they are. It's like, well, if I take this verse and change it a little bit, I can live this way. Or if I just don't read it at all, which is what most American Christians do, then I won't have to follow what it says. Even the most beautiful book about the gospel that we get, like a wholesale version of the gospel in Romans, the whole back end is Paul telling people how to live their lives. It's like, we're saved by grace and faith alone. Absolutely. Now this is what you do when you're saved. Act like a saved person. Remember what it's like to be saved every single day. Remember that you weren't the one doing the saving. Remember every single day that God's number one priority is putting his family back together. And when we're thinking about it, like if I think about it, if I lost my kids, and I tell this story all the time, and I will to the day I die, if I lost my kids in a mall, and one of my other kids came up to me and said, I want ice cream. I want to go to the food court. I want, I want, I want this toy. And I'm like, your brother is lost. There is one priority. We need to go find them. And they're in your workplace. I can't go there unless I get some side gig. Your pastor isn't the crux of this church. You are the saints, a holy priesthood sent out to carry the presence of God. What did the priests do that was most important? They carried the Ark of the Covenant. You carry the promise of God everywhere you go of this resurrection, of a new heavens and a new earth, the only hope for humanity. So when we say the way, and we say Jesus is the only way, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm telling you everything else doesn't work. I'm being very practical, very pragmatic. Nothing but being born again will get you into the kingdom of heaven. I don't care if it's the pillars of Islam or meditating with Buddha or the Buddha, as they call him. I don't care if it's New Age, which takes Christian principles and twists them in a way that makes no sense whatsoever and removes God and removes responsibility from the category. It doesn't work. I'm telling you right now, I don't care where you've come from. Go ahead. Yeah, give it a shot. But I'm praying for you that you'll hit a brick wall. Because there's one God of the heavens and the earth. And he sent his son to die for us. And it is the way. Why? Because it's the only thing that deals with personal sin and puts the family back together. You can't name another religion that does that. And this isn't even really a religion. That's just what people call it. Religion doesn't even make sense to first century people. It's not what they were writing about. They are writing about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So if we want to find a way out of this mess, you've got to find the way first. He is the way. One of his disciples asked, how do we find the Father? He says, I'm the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me.